This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. So do you now have the secret stash of, of surgical masks that you're squirreling away for the next pandemic? Is sort of making it up as they go along and you hope that your institution is the one that's doing the right thing. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we talk with a grad student, a postdoc, and a faculty member to find out what it's like to go back to work in a pandemic. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 139. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Greetings there, Dan. Josh, it's a late one. We made it, though. Tomorrow is the first day of school for my kids, so that kind of gives us a the round date. We're somewhere in the middle of August. Yeah, that is the same for me. My kids are eager and excited to <laughs> get all ready for the first day of school that will take place um, at a desk in their bedrooms. <laughs> Virtual school. Yeah, we spent the weekend trying to set up a quote-unquote classroom in what was formerly known as the playroom, and I'm not sure how that's going to go over when it's reserved for work, but we'll see. You know, my daughter has been super excited, even though it is going to be virtual school in her bedroom and she's starting fourth grade. Uh, she's been very excited to get her list of, of school supplies. She needed folders and pencils and paper and markers and all that. Do you, do you remember being excited about back to school shopping and school supplies? Trapper keepers. That's all I need to say. <laughs> Trapper keepers. Is that still still a thing do they still make trapper keepers you would know better than i would my kids aren't old enough for them if they do exist uh, lisa frank was that the do you remember that vaguely yes that was the kind of 90s psychedelic neon one unicorns and rainbows and yeah pretty cool yeah dan well one thing i've enjoyed this weekend my family and I went on a bike ride because it was so nice. The weather is actually a little bit cooler. I don't think this is the start of fall, uh, but it did make me long for uh, fall being right around the corner. And with fall right around the corner, Dan, we have back to school, not just for our kids, but undergraduates at universities around the United States are starting back. I know at my institution, they moved back in about a week, week and a half ago. And today uh, I got my fourth alert that there was a COVID cluster on campus in a dorm. Insert sighing sound here, Josh. Who could have predicted that Who 20 year olds been? living together were going to spread COVID 19? I, I hope that they haven't had any uh, serious illness. Have they said in those press releases whether the people are seriously ill or they have just tested positive? Uh, no, no information about that. It seems like there's a, some required reporting they're doing with the campus community, uh, but really nothing beyond just. There was a cluster of, of infections that were reported. And, and, you know, I think some of the concern that a lot of folks have, I know a lot of the, the talk around, you know, the town is certainly, you know, COVID can be a serious disease for younger people, um, although not as often as maybe those who are a little bit older. But I think a lot of concern, this mass of thousands of, of vectors who are going to come in, be living in close quarters that are likely going to facilitate spread of the virus, and then that potentially could cause spread out into the greater community. So I don't know. I mean, I know we're here one week into the start of school at my institution, but I think there's a lot of trepidation um, around what this means for, for public health around college campuses. 
I think the solution is to watch what the microbiologists and virologists and epidemiologists do. If those departments are empty, then we should all stay away from work and school. I mean, those are the those are the groundhogs that tell us whether it's safe to come out and uh, live our lives again. Have you been to the lab or have you been to the campus to see how those departments are full or not full? Yeah, I have been to, I have been to campus a couple times. And, and actually, Dan, what we're going to do on the show today, I spent some time just talking to some folks who are working in the lab setting who have transitioned back into research after some time away with the start of the pandemic. You know, my initial title for this episode was Back to Lab Post-COVID, um, but it occurred to me we were very much not post-COVID, I guess, uh, returning to lab during a pandemic. But, but I think that's a great question, Dan, and I thought a little bit about going back to lab as a graduate student versus undergraduates coming back to campus. And I think there are some fundamental differences as I thought through this, you know, with a lot of these undergraduates who are coming back. One, they're all coming back in mass from different places. But also, you know, graduate students, they're not necessarily packing in these lecture halls. All I know all of the coursework, at least my institution for grad students, is all remote. It's all virtual. And they don't all live together in dorms which is another kind of risk factor. I guess it's more like sort of going to job. And it seems like from what I've heard, the I think a lot of the social distancing, the mask usage, which is very strictly enforced in the research lab setting, it really does a good job of keeping everyone safe. And I can say when I've been to campus the last couple of times, everyone had on a mask on the research campus. I will say when I drove past where the undergraduate dorms are located, the other side of campus, uh, mask usage was, I'd put it more at 75%. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. It is a very different way of being at the university. One difference you failed to mention, Josh, is the undergrads are getting together uh, at parties, on the dance floor, uh, crowding around each other. The grad schools are just drinking alone, sobbing in the corner. So that does apply some social distance uh, for the grad which, students. Which we're used, I mean, we're used to doing on the best of days. So. That's right. <laughs> so I think that this is a great point. I'm glad we're mentioning this to juxtapose these two different things that are happening at a university near you. You know, this scenario with our research students, with our grad students, our postdocs, our research faculty, I think as you'll hear, are largely transitioning back um, successfully so far. It looks very different, but I think they're learning how to do so um, safely and with the right expectations. On the undergraduate side of campus, when we're talking about, you know, coursework and educating um, our large populations of undergrads, I think we're seeing that's a much riskier proposition. Hard to pack tens of thousands of young people together and not have some sort of virus spread. Um, Well, Josh, we are going to hear from some of those scientists, as you mentioned. Before we do, I do want to take a second to thank our new patron, Patreon patron Lauren. So thank you for your support, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. And Dan, we also want to thank our friends at Promega. So we have a lot of new grad students, I know at my institution and elsewhere, who um, are starting out as first-year grad students. They're in a new program. They're going to be going into new research labs, maybe doing lab rotations. And you may realize during that first week, you have no idea how to do the task that your advisor just asked you to do. We've all been there. I know I've been there. So whether it's pouring gels or you're making buffers or trying to optimize that molecular biology protocol, uh, Promega has tools to help you with anything the lab throws at you, except for planning snacks for Journal Club. You might be on your own with that one. 
So find tips, tricks, tools, apps on the techniques and tools page of the Student Resource Center at promega.com slash hellophd. All right, Dan, one thing I don't have today is I don't have an ethanol with me. And at least from what I can tell through my Zoom window at you, you have a bubbly water. No ethanol for you either, right? Uh, just bubbly water. And I have a water here. We're doing this one uh, straight edge tonight. You know, Dan, one thing that I've I've realized, I feel like we are suffering from a lack of creativity in our ethanol section of the show uh, since the pandemic hit. Creativity is gone. We've been quarantined for five months. Five months, I believe. Well, we are nearing fall, as I mentioned. And so historically, we have done our IPA free fall where we drink beers that are not IPAs. So I think we should Carbonated try water to... counts as an IPA free fall. That is true. That's a good point. But Dan, I've been watching baseball lately, as you know. That has been my one escape to help me feel sane. And there's been a commercial that keeps coming on uh, as I'm streaming my Major League Baseball games. It's really piqued my interest. And I think as a public service for our listeners, it's something we should try and report on. I'm not drinking White Claw, Josh. Uh, let Let me just tell you about this. Maybe you've seen it. So this is a new beer from Budweiser. Have you heard of them? You've heard of them. You've lost me at hello. <laughs> and this is called Budweiser Zero. Okay. I don't like any of those words. What piqued my interest in this beer was it says it's a full flavored zero alcohol brew. But why? I don't know. I, what would it taste like? So it's, it's uh, 50 calories. Uh, 0.0% alcohol, zero grams of sugar. And it's in a can that looks like a Budweiser can, except it says zero. What would that possibly taste like? I bet we're going to find out, Josh. So I'm going to get us some Budweiser Zero, Dan. I'm going to find a way to uh, get it to you because I want us to both try this for the first time on the air just so our listeners don't have to. I'd like to announce a vacancy in the host lineup at the Hello PhD podcast. Until this terrible experiment is over, I am announcing my resignation. Well, we'll see if I can get you to try. I'm going to procure some of this stuff, and uh, we'll, we'll let you know what we think on the air in the next episode. All right. Well, let's get on with the show, Josh. All right, Josh. Well, you had a chance this week to talk with three scientists, a graduate student, a postdoc, and a faculty member. And it sounds like the lead up to a joke, but it's not because they're doing something very serious which is going back to work in a situation where it is arguably a little bit dangerous to go back to work. And I, I know that research, when we talked in the spring to scientists who were basically exiting the lab, they were apprehensive, they were shutting down experiments, and now we're going to get a chance to find out what happened and how they're getting all of that started again. So I'm really excited to hear these interviews. All right, Dan. Well, let's jump right into it. My name is Jennifer Gamera, and I'm a second-year PhD student at Columbia University Medical Center. And right now, I'm in the lab of Dr. Rebecca Hausler. We were chatting just just a few minutes ago about how it's a very unique experience to be living in a big urban center like New York City right now. Right. So, so what's that like in general right now? So it's a bit different than normal. Usually, when you're living in a city like New York and there's always so much hustle and bustle going on. It's really eerie to see how much it's emptied out and the sidewalks have emptied and there's no one on the subway. 
and you used to have your weekends and say, oh, what should I do in New York City this weekend? And now it's just rotating. What kind of picnic should I have in Central Park? Because that's really all there is to do nowadays. I actually did wonder that because, you know, I know around here where I live, there's lots of different outdoor activities and places to go. And I've noticed that some of those places have become much more crowded over the last few months because everybody's having that same thought. I always wondered right. in New York if Central Park is just a madhouse and crushed with people on a beautiful summer weekend. Yeah, it definitely has been. Even this past weekend when I was picnicking in Central Park, we were saying, I wonder what percentage of Manhattan residents are actually in the park right now. And because it, <laughs> it was packed and, you know, there's city bikes all over the places, those stands. And people used to not really use them too much, but now the racks are empty. There's actually a line to wait to even get a bicycle. So people are really taking advantage of the park more now than ever. Well, I know because we were trying to buy a bike for my 10-year-old daughter who outgrew her smaller one. It's hard uh-huh. to buy a bike. Bikes are like a hot commodity in the in the world right now. Yeah, definitely. I think they're like sold out on Craigslist here too. Yeah, I do. Well, so tell us a little bit about, so you are a second year grad student. So presumably when this pandemic hit the United States, you were a first year graduate student. So tell us a little bit about how the pandemic impacted you and your progress as a grad student. Um, and then I, I want to make sure we, we focus today, too, on now that I assume you're back in lab, you're back at it again. Yes. How, how that transition has been kind of getting back into things, back into grad school, back into research with this new reality. Yeah. So I think inherently, so I was a first year, obviously, when the pandemic hit. And inherently, Columbia does have very long rotations. So when the pandemic hit, I was actually still in my second rotation. And we typically do three rotations. And our rotations are usually between three and four months long, which is longer, I think, than most schools. Conveniently, it kind of started, things started to pick up um, at the end of my second rotation. So it was convenient that I was able to stop my second rotation. And then I just continued online classes at home and never began my third rotation. So we weren't able to begin our third rotations really until the beginning of July, which was quite a amount of time later. And even so, being in a rotation during the um, ramp up of research was very confusing for everyone because you have so many questions yourself to ask this new lab that you're joining and the new PI is well is saying, well, I have just as many questions as you. So we're going to have to work through it together. Okay. So you, so when you came back, you weren't even returning to your established lab where you had your own no. bench and protocols and ways of doing things, but you were really coming in as a brand new person in that lab Right. In the middle of everybody trying to figure out how to do this. Right. And it was saying, okay, who are you going to work with, a postdoc or another graduate student? And then how are you going to be able to be mentored by them in the lab? Because you can't stand within six feet of each other. How has that been? So I'm assuming you do sort of hands-on kind of wet lab type bench research, right? Right. So predominantly our lab is a lot of mouse work and cell culture And yeah, it's very much wet lab techniques. So when I was starting back up, instead of learning new techniques, the PI of the lab said, okay, what techniques are you comfortable to do alone? Because that's what you're going to start off doing and using the skills I already knew. And then I would go ahead in the lab and do experiments and be 
showed by email where things were and then have to go into the lab and find the things, you know, of course you open a freezer door in a new lab and you say, oh my gosh, what is in here? So I really was relying on things I learned from my past research experiences to help me in this rotation because, and thank God there were some techniques used in this lab that I previously knew. Um, so I was able to do some experiments. I'm just thinking nothing is more real-time communication than email. You say, hey, where's the tech polymerase send? And you sit there at your desk waiting, yeah. waiting. You've got mail. Oh, it's in the freezer. Oh, there's three exactly. freezers. Uh, which freezer <laughs> exactly. <is> send? <laughs> and then you open a box and you're like, okay, how do you label things? Which sample do you want me to get? So it's really, it's it was quite funny, but I was eventually able to find everything and get somewhat settled. So what kind of what kind of creativity have you seen in the time you've been back in the lab now for it sounds like a month, uh, six weeks, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, what kind of creativity have you seen with regard to how labs and students are navigating this training process in this new reality? I think people are definitely learning how to be more organized now that this COVID research ramp up has happened um, to try to limit the amount of problems they have in the future should other things like this arise. In terms of creativity, I think we're still somewhat trying to figure it out on how to best communicate with one another when we're not able to physically be together. So I think a lot of science has now turned to literature searches, at least during this time. And a lot of people in our lab are looking more towards how can I do this computationally? Am I able to learn how to do this with code and to find answers out that way using databases I already have and not do new experiments? So I think that's something that's been happening in the lab during this ramp up portion. Do you think that being in New York City, it has made the the ramp up be even slower? I mean, the degree to which New York got hit really hard. Do you think compared to maybe other parts of the country that are weren't hit quite as hard, at least not yet or haven't experienced quite what New York City did. Um, Do you think that's impacted the speed at which things have ramped back up on the research side? Definitely, because when New York got hit really hard, the chair of medicine sent out emails to every single research lab on campus and said, if you have any masks, any PPE, they need to be donated to the hospital because we're associated with New York Presbyterian shares our campus. So we have a giant hospital on campus that we had to donate every single item of PPE or so when it was time to ramp up research, we had nothing. So it really took a while to get gloves and masks and gowns back in the lab to ensure that we were safe because everything had to be donated to the hospitals because they really had nothing wow. or they were not prepared. So I think that was the biggest thing was the backlog of supplies that we needed to get started back in the lab. And especially there are a few labs at New York that dedicated their research to COVID testing and things like that. So a lot of supplies were donated to those labs as well. So I want to talk for a minute about how, just how you felt through this process, like when you were especially getting started, because I think things happen so abruptly for everyone when things shut Mm -hmm. down, you know, it was a very volatile, fast moving situation, but then, you know, you had some time away from lab to think and to, you know, see what's going on in the world and think about where you were in graduate school. So when it came time to transition back into the lab, how did you feel? Were you feeling 
excited to get back in and get going or were you feeling apprehensive or were you thinking like, wow, it was super great to take a break. I could use another month or, or how, how did you feel emotionally sort of with the thought of starting back up again? Yeah, I think I felt excited and nervous, but also some sort of pressure at the same time because I was going back into a third rotation and the thought that the new incoming class of PhD students was coming right around the corner at the end of August and we had to finish our rotations by the time they came really so that we didn't have any overlap of rotation students. So there was some sort of pressure of, okay, when I go back to my third rotation, I'm going to need to be able to get a good feel for the lab right away and make a decision on what lab I want to do my thesis in, in a fairly short amount of time. I normally had three or four months to make this decision. And now all of a sudden I have six weeks to make a decision on what lab I want to spend the next X number of years in for my thesis. So there was a lot of pressure, I feel like coming back, but I think the time off gave me a lot of time to really think about what was important for me in a thesis lab and to really try to understand what points were important that the lab had. And if they weren't met within the first month, then the month the lab wasn't going to be for me. And it was also just a lot going off my gut feeling Mm -hmm. as well, since there wasn't a lot of time to decide. Yeah. So where are things now? So what are you up to these days? So I actually am finishing up my third rotation right now this week. Um, So I've been there for about five weeks now. And then I ultimately decided that I wanted to join my my first rotation lab. So I'm going to be headed back there, which is a bit weird because I was able to have a full experience in that first rotation lab. But I think that I made the right decision in the end and I was able to get a good gut feeling off this third rotation. Are you excited to get started in your in your thesis lab? Yeah, I'm really excited for that. I think now things are shifting to, okay, how do I actually start a thesis, like where do you start? And trying to get things planned with my uh, new PI. And then also on top of that, thinking about fellowships for the fall. Well, that would be an, an exciting and apprehensive time in under normal circumstances without all of the extra considerations. So maybe we will reach back out to you again in the future and, and see how that process is going for you. Well, Jen, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to, to talk to me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. My name is Risa Burr. I am finishing up my third year doing a postdoc at a hospital in Boston. Very cool. And so, like many people, I imagine when the pandemic hit in the United States, you spent some time out of lab. Your lab presumably shut down, but recently at some point has transitioned back to bringing the researchers uh, back into the lab again. Tell us a little bit about sort of the general overview of when your lab shut down, how long you were you were out of lab, and, and when things started ramping back up again in person. Yeah, so we shut down in, I guess it was like mid to early March, and it was, it was never actually a complete shutdown. I think because I work at a hospital, our rules were slightly different. Um, obviously, all the hospital nurses and doctors and things had to keep working, and so they got special permission from the state. And so actually, even during the shutdown, our lab had three people who were still allowed to come into work full time. 
Uh, I was not one of them. So I, I was out in the middle of March through the end of May. And then at the end of May, they decided that we were going to go into what they called phase one of the transition back to work. And I and another postdoc in the lab were added to the list of people who were allowed to come in. That was supposed to be for us to help our lab manager figure out spacing so that everyone was at least six to 12 feet apart, figure out how to do different cleaning protocols, what sort of uh, numbers of people can be in like the tissue culture rooms at the same time, things like that. Mm -hmm. So that lasted for really only about a week and a half. And then they transitioned us to phase two where everyone was theoretically allowed to come back. You had to have like certain caps on the number of people in a space in general. And Mm -hmm. so in labs that were particularly crowded before the shutdown, they might've had to go to a morning and evening shift or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my particular lab, we actually have a lot of space. And so pretty much everyone was able to come back uh, full-time at that point. And then they've, since then they've like slightly relaxed the rules. So now we're allowed to have multiple people in a tissue culture room at the same time. So there are some rules in place, but it seems quite back to normal. So, so I imagine, you know, besides some of the, the spacing rules or the spacing considerations, do you have things like mandatory mask usage and things like that, that are layered on top of that? Yes, definitely. So every day before coming into work, we're required to attest on an app that they created that uh, we don't have any of a list of symptoms. If we forget to do that attestation, which I have done before, they can actually <laughs> tell that you've entered the building because we have to like badge into the building. Oh, wow. So they'll send you an email saying, you didn't attest this morning. If you if this becomes a regular thing, you're going to lose your access to the building. Oh, so wow. they're trying to take that really seriously. So, that, so that's one thing. And then once you get to the building, you have to wear a mask and it um, is actually has to be a hospital provided mask. Mm-hmm. So they provide everyone with two surgical masks a day, which is a lot of surgical masks. I actually only wear pretty much, I take one at the beginning of the week and then like try to reuse that one. But I suppose the theory is that if, if it got dirty, they'd want you to make, you know, be able to have another mask. So do you now have the secret stash of, of surgical masks that you're squirreling (laughs) away for the next pandemic? (laughs) (laughs) I know I've been trying to work out how to make that happen, um, in a way that is not extremely suspicious of the entrance (laughs) to my building. I haven't figured it out yet, but if you have any ideas. Yeah. Well, so how's it been coming back? Uh, I guess one of the things that I hear a lot of people talk about is, and just things that would be required. I imagine the type of research you do, you're doing wet lab work, bench work, sort of hands-on on research. So what type of creativity or considerations or changes to the way you work, the way you do experiments, or the way you work with other people have you noticed or have you had to do with some of these new restrictions? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, There's a bunch of different things that have been affected. One is obviously that we don't have hardly any in-person meetings anymore. Our lab, total lab meetings have been moved online, but also even my meetings with my bosses have been moved online. So people will have these weekly lab meetings where I'm sitting in the lab in my mask, but my bosses are at home and Mm -hmm. we're doing them over Zoom. Um, So that's one thing. It makes it Somewhat, somewhat more challenging 
to to work with people. I really hate having meetings wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to feel like people can understand what I'm saying or read my facial expressions and things like that. So so that's a little tricky, but it's been okay. Something that's interestingly affected our lab is that when the pandemic shutdown happened, a lot of people decided they were going to try to use this time to generate some analysis on data that they had already collected, Mm -hmm. particularly sequencing data and stuff like that. And the way that our lab usually does that is that we have bioinformaticians embedded in the lab. And so the minute that things shut down, those bioinformaticians got extremely busy. (laughs) And it's, it's actually been quite horrible for them, just in terms of constantly being emailed by various postdocs in the lab who have literally nothing else to do besides email these bioinformaticians. So while everyone else was catching up on Netflix, the bioinformaticians were uh, <laughs> drowning. Yeah, the, basically. So that's that's been kind of interesting because I, I'm working on like one project where this bioinformatician is like, you know, I email him and I say how's it going? And he says, I'm drowning in this other person's work. Like, like I'll, I'll get to your work as soon as I can, but it's, I, I feel bad sort of pressuring him to choose me <laughs> over someone else. So it's a little complicated that way. Other things that have changed, our core facilities have a lot of rules now. So I used to be able to go down and sort of sit with the technician who would run facts for me and, you know, watch the plots show up and, and tell him which things to select and stuff like that. And now you have to hand them your samples ahead of time and you can't sit in there with them. And they try to Zoom or Google Hangouts call you while they're doing it, but it's really not the same. I learned very sadly recently that it is not the same when I gave him a ton of cells and received almost no cells back and (laughs) realized I should have been much more clear about which populations I wanted. (laughs) Live, Live and learn. Yeah, right. So it's it's definitely been a learning process. I do a lot of like tissue culture and molecular biology and stuff like that. And so for my day to day, it's quite similar, um, even to the point of we don't really have distancing rules within our lab because the hospital believes that if everyone's wearing masks, then that should do it in terms of protection. So, so in terms of working with technicians, talking with other postdocs, like we're not constantly for, for a couple of weeks, we were like, how close can I get to you without being in your personal bubble? But it, that's pretty much disappeared now. And the hospital says that's fine. Infection control says that's fine. Yeah. And I think it sounds like, and even from talking to different people and, and people at my own institution, that there are vastly different rules. And a lot of institutions are trying to figure out what their rules are going to be because I know I have some students who are working on learning tissue culture in a new lab and they've been really challenged with current rules where they can't even be in the tissue culture room at the same time as the person who's trying to teach them. And so that's been <laughs> been really a challenge. So, you know, maybe when they find that medium, some some of those rules will relax. Um, do you do, and so you mentioned you're at a, a hospital um, research environment. So maybe you don't have as much training of people in the lab, but is that something you've experienced? Like if you, do you have people you train or you work with or who work with you in the lab that this has impacted the way you work together? Yeah, we do. Our lab has a fair number of technicians who require a lot more sort of hands-on supervision. And we actually even had a technician start working for us in middle of June. Mm, So, so his like very intense training period has been during all of this. And 
at the beginning, when, when people were starting to be allowed back, they were the last ones allowed to come back, which is interesting because they're certainly not doing anything at home, unlike the postdocs. <laughs> but now, now that it's the hospital has made their policy very clear that you don't need to maintain a six foot distance or anything like that. The technicians' lives, I think, are or in their training and things are quite unaffected. Yeah, so that's that's at least how it is for us. One thing that's been very interesting to me is that I have a lot of friends who are postdocs at other institutions in Boston, and like you were saying, sort of the policies are extremely different. So some of them are. One, one thing that postdocs talk a lot about is how some institutions are testing their entire like employee base for COVID once a week, and others like mine are not doing any testing unless you have an exposure. Um, so there's like that sort of difference. And then a lot, pretty, pretty much where I work is the, the place that has the lowest sort of restrictions in terms of social distancing. Um, and I, I know a lot of postdocs who are having to work really odd hours or make sure that they're like is only allowed to be one person in a room at a given time, even if that room is your whole lab. And so it's been, it's been interesting to compare, but also kind of nerve wracking a little bit because it it does feel like every institution, despite all being scientists and highly educated is sort of making it up as they go along. And you (laughs) hope that your institution is the one that's doing the right one (laughs) thing, but it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. So uh, anyway, that's just to say that I could imagine that um, trainees at those places are having a much harder time mm-hmm. than the technicians that yeah, I work well, with. Well, how do, how do you feel? Do you feel, you know, you mentioned probably on the spectrum, the continuum of institutional protocols and safety procedures, maybe yours is one of the least restrictive, um, which is not to say that they're not basing, they have no restrictions and they're not basing this on, you know, science or we know mess. I mean, you're in a hospital. Do you feel generally safe and do you feel okay as a postdoc about sort of those procedures? In the beginning, I was concerned, I guess, coming back to work, as I think everyone is. But, you know, the more time that passes and nothing bad happens, the more, maybe this is like naive or what everyone else in the country is thinking, but the more time that passes and nothing bad happens, the the more you feel like the precautions in place are sufficient. Um and, and I particularly tell myself and other people that I work in a hospital that never shut down. They spent all of those months that I was at home trying to figure out how to keep their hospital, like medical employees from giving each other COVID. And so their, their policies have really been tested for a lot longer than policies at like an entirely academic institution that was shut down for a few months. So far, it seems to be working and, and that gives me confidence. Yeah, no, I think the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Right. So I guess uh, just a couple more questions. One, so as a postdoc, how do you feel like this whole situation, the shutdown, the temporary shutdown, and then this ramping back up period, how has this impacted your own career plans or your own timelines, or has it in any significant way? Yeah, well, I feel very lucky, just generally speaking, in in these times because of where I'm at. So I am probably going to end up in industry uh, and I'm certainly not applying for an academic position right now. And my understanding of the 
industry hiring environment is that it hasn't really been impacted by COVID, at least in Boston. I've talked to a lot of people Mm -hmm. who work in industry or who are recruiters and things like that. And it seems to be fine. In contrast, I know that the academic hiring environment is just horrendous Um, to to the point where postdocs have been asking the administration where I work to do something about providing sort of bridge funding for postdocs that were thinking they were going to apply for academic jobs, Mm -hmm. but now they can't, or even postdocs who feel like this, you know, six months or who knows how long was going to be really integral to the accumulation of preliminary data or experimental data that was going to be key for them to get an academic job. Now they feel like that's been lost and they need bridge funding in order to sort of fill in that time in the future. So they're asking, they're asking for either funding or for um, some sort of advocacy towards the NIH to like tack on another year to a postdoc fellowship. Mm-hmm. So, so I know that that's been really, really hard for postdocs who are interested in academia. And then Otherwise, the the postdoc population at my institution is about 70% international. Mm -hmm. And all of those people are, you know, this is this is not exactly specific to COVID, but they're they're having just endless concerns and anxieties about am I gonna get kicked out of the country if I leave the country? Can I come back? All all of these sorts of things that are are really making it and makes it difficult for them to uh, apply for jobs and just to plan for the future. Yeah, I mean, we've experienced that quite a bit very recently with all of our new grad students who are just now starting. And, you know, many of our international students actually have been forced to defer for a year because they just weren't able to get the appropriate visa and get entry into the country. And, and I know for folks already here, like you mentioned, it's just with everything, with the various things going on, not just related to COVID, it has been a really anxiety-provoking time. So I, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you about is just sort of your general feeling. Because it was such a strange, such a strange time of, of probably something that you never would have forecasted would happen during your postdoc, where there would be this period of time where you'd be asked to leave the lab and not come into lab for a period of, of months um, and then transition back in. So when it came time to come back into the lab, you know, have your first day to make your commute back into the, to the research lab, how did you feel? Did you feel excited to get, get going, get the experiments back up and going? Were you apprehensive? Were you like, man, I could have used another month of, <laughs> of time away from lab? Sort of walk me through how you felt with transitioning back. Yeah, I mean, I you joke, but I actually did feel that I could have used another month away from lab. Strangely, I found the shutdown to be a net positive for my science. I spent a ton of time thinking much more broadly about the research that I was doing and the directions that I wanted to take it and taught myself some coding and did some analyses that have actually resulted in starting a new project that I'm extremely excited about. And when I was tasked with coming back into lab, I was not quite done with all that analysis. And so I wanted a little bit more time to uh, finish that up before I started back into the you know daily tasks of make sure this Western blot is done, make sure these cells are split. So yeah, I mean, I'm actually, you know, I'm not grateful that we had a pandemic, <laughs> but I, I am very, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to remind myself how important it is to take a minute and really 
think about the big picture. And I am hoping that that realization will be something that I continue to reapply to my scientific career going forward so that I remember to take that time in the future. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great silver lining. Uh, Risa, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This was really insightful. I learned a lot. It's great to get your perspective, you know, from a postdoc point of view. And um, it's just been been really helpful. So thank you. Thank you, Josh. I tell all my technicians to listen to your podcast before they're going to graduate school. I am Jada Cochino-Budd. I am a, an assistant professor in the biology department at the University of Vermont, so still a relative newbie in the PI professor world. And yeah, I'm starting my third year here. Great. And we talked to you, Jada, about, I don't know, geez, it feels like years ago, but I think it was back in, actually, it must have been back in April because it's when things were shutting down. And we talked a little bit about you closing down your lab for a while and what that process was like. But I can see you now on the screen that you're back in your office on campus again. And so that's what we want to talk about today is what's it been like getting your lab back up and going? I guess we're still in the middle of COVID, but research and uh, researchers seem to be going back to work. So how, how's that transition been? Um, it has been slow, like everyone's, I'm sure. So yeah, I think I was on back in March, end of March, beginning of April when things were shutting down. And for us, my lab, it was really easy to shut down. We basically just threw out what we didn't need to be working on anymore and then took whatever we could work on remotely home and try to do that. Um, getting things back up and running is hard. And even when I first came back, came back in the middle of June, a lot of it was just trying to remember what was happening beforehand, what we even needed to start up. Um, a lot of things that we had just kind of running so that if we needed to set up a cross, my lab um, works on flies. So if we needed to set up a fly cross, there were things that you could easily grab and just start going. And when we wanted to kind of get back up and running, we had to expand everything for a while. And yeah, it just took a lot longer. So we're still not 100% fully back up. But yeah, so far, it's, it's been going just slowly. How big is your lab? Like how many people do you have? Do you have grad students, undergrads? Um, what, what's your lab? Like your so actually right now I have a technician. I have grad students starting this year, but um, over the summer I've actually only had my technician and an undergraduate fellow working in my lab. So hasn't been that hard to distance in that sense and work around some of the COVID restrictions. We did move around a lot of equipment in the lab so that we could make sure that nobody was ever too close. Um, and we put in a lot of, um, yeah, basically rules of, you know, cleaning everything, wiping things down. We covered some of the scopes with um, saran wrap in certain places to make it easier to clean. All of the keyboards and everything are covered with saran wrap. So things look a lot different in here, but just trying to make it easier to be able to actually work. Um, the hard part is going to be when about five more undergrads come back in the, uh, in the fall semester, as well as new graduate students starting and then having rotation students and trying to train people in a distance way. We're still trying to work through that and figure out exactly how that's going to look. Yeah, I think that's a huge challenge for everyone who does sort of wet lab, hands-on lab work, because so much of the training really is 
hands-on, like, here, let me physically show you, let me stand with you while you do this for the first time. Um, and and that, that's a question I have, too. You know, I know you haven't gotten to the, the training part um, quite as much yet until, until those other folks come back. But how much creativity and how much thinking do you feel like has been required to reimagine ways that you, like things you did regularly on a day-to-day basis in the lab with all these new COVID considerations? Yeah, a lot of it is, well, as I said, we already moved a lot of the equipment around. But even in terms of working with uh, the people who are already in the lab this summer, there are things that they have questions about. And I automatically will think like, okay, get up and walk over. And then I'll be like, nope, have to redo that. I've talked to some other people who are thinking of using GoPros to kind of videotape the things that they're doing in lab and then be able to show that. But it's still hard. I mean, Unless you have a camera that can go onto a microscope, if you're trying to show someone how to do a dissection or something, it just doesn't doesn't do it justice to um, to have it be from far away. So I think a lot of it is honestly just going to be trial and error and trying to figure out, you know, we try something. If that doesn't quite work, we try something else and just go from there. And so everything is just going to be slower as we figure it all out. How does it feel to be back? Because I think what I'm trying to wrap my mind around is... We had this period of time, I mean, really something happened that as academics doing research, we thought would probably never happen, where you probably never imagined as a new faculty member that you would literally shut your lab down for a period of months. And how does it feel to be back? Were you, or are you excited to get back in there? You were raring to go, or you were apprehensive, or you were like, oh man, I was kind of enjoying that break. I could have used another couple of months. Sort of what was the feeling like getting back into lab? How does how did that feel? I think all of the above. So there's definitely a feeling, you know, as I said, we want to maintain all of the COVID restrictions. So there's kind of a feeling of being on guard for everything and making sure that you're doing everything according to all of the rules. It feels really nice to be back in lab, but as I said, it's not the same experience as it was before. So things are moving at a different pace. Um, And yeah, now we're also trying to figure out what's happening just with campus in general as students come back. So I can't even devote as much time as I would to labs. There's some part of me that has to work on that. Um, So there's a lot of anxiety just in the air around, I think. And then, you know, working with a mask on um, also is just different. The first, um, first week I was in, I think the the first day, the longest I had was three hours that I was in the lab. And I was like, there's no way anyone can do this for a full day. And now it just feels really weird if I don't have my mask on. Like right now I'm in my office because if I'm in my office alone, I don't have to have my mask on. But I have it kind of tethered to me at all times just because you never know when you're going to need it. But yeah, I mean, things are really exciting. Um, I had actually put in a grant um, in June so for NIH. And then they came out with a rule that... Um, people who get additional preliminary data. And so I've been trying to get as much of that as possible because we didn't have the time to do that before um, everything shut down. So there's still a feeling of kind of go, 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 but you can't. So it can be both exciting and frustrating and anxiety provoking and good and bad and all the things, all the feelings, basically. Do you feel like some pressure has been taken off compared to maybe how you felt prior to COVID? No. I think, actually, in the last episode, I mentioned how right when we first shut down, I felt a ton of pressure taken off because really nobody could do anything. But now, 
I think a lot of it's come back and there's a different sort of pressure. So there is the understanding that you just can't do as much right now. But especially because we don't know exactly how long this is going to go on for, there's starting to return back to the normal feeling of, well, you still have to get stuff done. And I think that a lot of junior scientists, whether it be junior faculty members, postdocs, graduate students are still feeling that, you know, graduate students still have to graduate at some point and postdocs probably want to try to go on the job market, although that's a whole separate (laughs) thing right now that's uh, in question. So yeah, I think there's still that feeling of things need to get done and you just kind of have to figure out how to do it during this time. So you alluded a minute ago to some general trepidation with campus opening back up and undergraduates returning to campus and, and courses. I know those are stresses that we're experiencing at my institution as well that are separate from the researchers who are, are coming back to work and have come back to work. Uh, do you have teaching responsibilities yourself with undergraduates? I do actually. And this semester they are increased because of some workload readjustment that's happened because of budget things and stuff. So yes, I have I have two classes that I'm teaching this semester. So normally I have to um, kind of balance the course, uh, just teaching as well as lab. And now trying to do that while we're learning new modalities of teaching and implementing different strategies. Yeah, it's kind of more of that go, 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 figure it out sort of, uh, sort of feeling. Will, will these be online instruction or in person or a combination of the two? A combination. So um, these are hybrid uh, modalities. So there are some students who've elected not to come back to campus. Um, We're trying to make them have as much accessibility to any of the classes, whether it be undergrads or graduate students. So a lot of our classes, even if they're a majority of in-person, we're trying to make it accessible to people who want to be remote. Um, And Yeah, so faculty have gotten some choice, but I think the university still wants to um, have a good amount of in-person instruction. When you think about just sort of your general uncertainty about this current situation, how much of it lies with the teaching aspect versus the research aspect? I think they have their own challenges. In some sense, you know, the research part, even though it's unknown how lab is going to be affected in terms of, you know, how are we going to train new people and how much time can things actually be done? It's still kind of the same that's all that we've always had. You know, I know how to do the research. I know how to talk to my students about things. The teaching aspect is throwing in new adjustments for everything. And so I think they're just different challenges that are coming on. Um, the research part, I feel like I just kind of have to kind of deal with the slower part of it, um, but it's more or less the same. The teaching part is... It's going to be an interesting thing, but you know what? It'll give me some new skills, so I'm looking on the bright side. There you go. That's a that is a good way to approach it. Uh, anything else you wanted to you wanted to share or say? Any other challenges or silver linings? The way things are going right now. I guess uh, so. Not quite research uh, in the lab related, but I've. Uh, had the opportunity to go to a couple of virtual conferences. So as I'm sure you know, a lot of conferences have either been canceled, but some of them have actually gone to a virtual um, side of things. And in some ways, that's great. There's been a lot of a lot of networking that can still happen. And a lot of them are actually cheaper conferences now. And so I feel like people are sending more graduate students to them, more undergraduate students, um, just because 
it's, yeah, it doesn't eat into resources as much. And so there is some good that's coming out of this where I think it's maybe easier for graduate students to network with people online and to see all of this cool research. So in some sense, there is some good stuff too. Yeah, I've heard that from from other students as well and from other faculty. These opportunities that normally they wouldn't have been able to do are suddenly available. And, you know, I do wonder if once all of this pandemic stuff is behind us, if maybe we'll carry some of that with us into the future when we think about making certain opportunities accessible uh, to broader audiences than are required to actually buy a plane ticket and expensive registration and, and go somewhere. That really does limit sometimes participation. Yeah, I think, at least from my experiences with these virtual conferences, there's definitely some downside. So I still prefer the in-person conferences. But one thing that I've really loved is just the virtual seminar series that are going on. And even as we go into the fall with our departmental seminar series, there's people, you know, there's somebody who I'd wanted to invite from Germany for a while, but having to fly him over here um, and deal with that is a lot more expensive than having somebody local. And now we can easily just say, would you like to give a virtual seminar? And it's easy for everyone. So I, again, I think that there are some things that are expanding and things like that might go into the future and be carried through. So yeah, we'll see. Well, thanks, Jada. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us uh, once again. You are, I think you're officially a regular on the show now. So we'll send you your special pin for that. Great. All right, Dan, that was my conversation with three folks who recently transitioned back into the lab. Yeah, I'm so glad you talked to three different people because it gives you a sense of the diversity of our response to COVID-19 and how people are planning to get back to work. It was not the same at every university. No, and I think there were some definite differences that likely were fueled by the the geography and the region where the institution is located and how they were impacted directly by COVID. I mean, we talked to Jennifer who is right in the middle of New York City, and we know how hard they got hit, especially in the early days, versus, you know, we're talking to Jada, and she mentioned how the caseload there is relatively low compared to other places in the country. And, you know, that has to have some impact with how institutions are are thinking about COVID and the plans they're, they're putting in place. Uh, but one thing that surprised me a little bit was it did seem like there is some variability in regulations or some of the different ways that institutions are putting things in place to keep lab workers safe. I mean, masks sound like they're across the board, something that that is happening. But, you know, Risa certainly indicated there were some differences um, where they were a little more lax on social distancing than some of the other places. So um, I thought that was interesting that depending on where you were, may be very different experiences with how you're training and working with other people in your lab. Yeah, I was intrigued by the idea of having to attest to your health each day before you were able to go in. I know as uh, our school for my kids is going back, there's the concern that people will drop off a kid that may be not well. And you can try and do a temperature check, but people can take Tylenol or Advil and bring their temperature down. And so uh, having a, a grown adult attest, I am healthy and I have not had these symptoms and recording that each day hopefully will encourage everybody to be honest about their symptoms. And hopefully we have practiced long enough with the quarantine to know that it's okay to be out of work for a few days uh, until you can get tested and make sure that you're safe before you infect other people. 
I think before the pandemic, we'd be tempted to tough it out. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, do you think that that we will do a better job in general of staying home when we're not feeling well versus feeling like, well, I've got to come in. I'm not that sick. Think how many times we've probably have infected or been infected by our coworkers who thought, well, I'm just going to go in and power through. Do you think that COVID has changed our thinking and how we'll... I doubt it. I doubt it for something like the common cold because this is a matter of life and death for many people. And if I have a runny nose or my kid has a runny nose and they go to school or I go to work, the worst that's going to happen is somebody else gets a runny nose. And so the cost is much lower. Uh, I think with COVID-19, there, you know, we've dialed up the intensity, the risk, and hopefully people will respect that and treat it like the disease that it is. But we'll see. You know, I, I think you've already gotten emails from from campus about some undergrad outbreaks. We'll find out. It, it'll either arrive in schools and it'll arrive in other departments or it won't. And, and we're going to find out how it worked. Josh, I was struck by Reese's comments on the impact on core facilities. I can remember very distinctly taking some samples. I needed to do electron microscopy. And you walk through the little rotating light-sensitive door, and there's the electron microscope, and you sit, you know, cheek to jowl with the person who knows actually how to operate (laughs) the electron microscope in a tiny little hot, uh, stuffy room where there's no airflow, there's no, uh, basically no distance, there's no room for you to be away from each other. But I could go through the images and say, no, 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 um, you know, scroll to the left a little bit, I want that. No, zoom in a little bit, I want that. And some of those interactions were so valuable because I didn't have the skill to operate the machine necessarily, but I did have the context and the background for the research to know what it is I needed to find. And I think that's what Reese is talking about. What do you do when you can't be there? It's not like dropping off your sample and getting it sequenced and getting the sequence back. This is something that the researcher has to participate in. Yeah, and I think those are some of the inconveniences that people working in the research context are going to have to learn to live with for the the next short period of time. Because I think it goes back to what Jada was talking about too. Everything is slower now for many reasons. And, you know, I think Reese's example was one of those. Maybe you prep that sample of cells that you drop off for flow cytometry and, oh man, if, if I would have been sitting there, I could have told them, no, I just want these populations and I would have had a lot more cells I could use for something else. Uh, but as it was, I wasn't there. And now I've got to do the experiment again because I lost all my cells. One of many ways that, that things are going to be things are going to be slower and different in the short term. I wonder if it'll make us appreciate the way that we've been able to work closely together in the lab. Like I wonder if we've taken some of that for granted and when this is all behind us, we'll actually appreciate the value of working side by side, working closely with one another. Um, what do you what do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. Although. I'm excited about some of the changes that this has brought for being able to work remotely with each other. I think we always took for granted that we would be together and we never spent the time to think about whether uh, we could also collaborate. And I think, you know, we heard this from Jada. We can collaborate with people from across the ocean at any moment. We, We really do have the technology now and it's just gotten better, but we didn't have the habits. And so Yes, I think getting back uh, into lab and being together is going to be important, but I'm also excited and hopeful that some of the changes we've made outside for remote work will stay with us. Yeah, I 
think we talked about that a few episodes ago on episode 134, um, lessons from quarantine and things that have been a bit of an inconvenience. Certainly some things have been a bit of an inconvenience, but some of these things, you know, like you mentioned with the technology, we had the technology, we just weren't in the habit of using it. So you're right. Maybe if we can find silver linings, we have learned some new habits and some new outlooks on our research that maybe we can take with us and you know, Risa mentioned one of those advantages of spending some time away from lab really helped her to spend some time thinking about her project and evaluating her project in different ways that she might not have been able to if she was just going to work, going to the lab day after day, churning experiments out. No, I, I absolutely love that. And it reminded me, if we're, <laughs> if we're digging into the archive, Josh, it reminded me of, of your interview with uh, Dr. Jimena Giducci back in episode 122 when she was studying in Argentina and grants and funding were not as easy to acquire. She says that they spent a, long, a lot more time thinking about their experiments, planning about what they were going to do before they you know, took out pipettes and started working. And that led to better research. And I know, Josh, you've said that spending time outside of the lab when you were doing your comprehensive exam and actually thinking about the science made you, A, more excited, and B, helped you learn the field a lot better. And that's what I heard Risa say. She said, you know, when I when I stepped back, when I had to step back and I took the 30,000 foot view, uh, I actually came up with better ideas and I could could have used a little bit more time. And so I wonder, you know, we like to talk on the show about what we can do to improve scientific training and scientific research. I wonder if one of those things we should be exploring is almost an enforced sabbatical. And I don't know how you do it to make sure that the person uh, actually came up with something and... and uh, they just go hang out on a beach just, for... <laughs> yeah, play Animal Crossing or whatever. But this quarantine has forced everybody to maybe take that step back. And I'd be interested to know if the quality of science is now going to be better as people get back. They have been thinking for five months about what experiment they need to do. Now they're going to get started on that experiment. So in six months, do we have a flush of new papers that are, are better thought out with better figures and more acceptance by the journals? It'd be interesting. Yeah, and you know, I think that this increased level of, of thinking about experimentation is going to continue in the short term because even though, and this is one thing that that we heard you know, from all the people we talked to, is the the research is a little more challenging to do right now. And I know in, in some cases, you know, researchers are not always even allowed to be in the lab full time. Really, the thought is if you're in there doing an experiment, you can be there, but otherwise try to do other things at home. I think even the experiments that that grad students, that postdocs are doing, are trying to do, because that time in lab is so precious now and requires so much more creativity and logistical planning that you want to maximize that time. So I would gather there's probably a lot more um, intentionality going into the experiments that are being done right now. And, and I agree with you. I think that's a good thing for, for science and hopefully that will continue into the future when COVID is in the rearview mirror. Well, Josh, I think time will tell how this goes and, and we're all obviously hoping for the best outcome um, we would love to hear our listeners' stories. Um, a lot of you have written to us and, and told us about how you're approaching this. You can reach us if you have a question or topic idea or you have some ideas about how to make this transition back to lab better. 
You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. You can send us a tweet at hellophd. Obviously, if you like the show, you can always leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We do love the feedback. And if you'd like to become a supporter, you can become a patron. Just go to our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button. Or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. And we do appreciate the support from our uh, patrons. We sure do. All right, Dan. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And I know that you are going to be giddy with excitement for our next show where you get to sample the Budweiser Zero. Absolutely, Josh. I'm looking forward to it. I'm locking the door right now and turning out all the lights. You know, if you have, if our listeners have beer suggestions or beer you would like for us to drink on the show, we're open to that too. Because I'm running out of ideas. Somebody save me. <laughs> we'll see you next time, Josh. All right. See you, Dan. Bye.